Howdy, everybody. This is Callum from the Five Figures Podcast. This is episode four. It's currently the 10th of May, 2022. It's late in the afternoon. It's a Tuesday. I I probably should have put this out a day ago, but alas, I had things to do. I had places to be. I can't spend my entire time here at the computer. Alas, I'm here. Uh, and let's talk about UFC 274, because, I mean, we could talk about PFL 3, there were some cool things, like, Anthony Pettis got a, got a submission, uh, on Miles Price, which is, is, is that his first submission in a little while? I think so. That was cool. Rory McDonald put on a pretty good performance against Brett Cooper and got a Renaka choke in the first round. That's cool. Carlos Leal batted the fuck out of Ray Cooper, got a 30-26 on one of the judges' scorecards, and, I mean, there was a weird variety of scorecards in that instance. He got a 30-26 on one of them, and then he got a 29-27 on a different scorecard. Like, where the fuck's the consistency in that? All right, who gives a shit? Whatever. And then Kayla Harrison had a, you know, shutout unanimous victory in the main event. That's cool. I saw some highlights of Yindrova in the opening fight of the card. She looked good. Yeah, whatever. But the real, the real money this week is obviously UFC 274. The main event was Charles Oliveira defending his... I mean, technically, he was he was meant to be defending his UFC lightweight championship against Justin Gaethje. But alas, he, uh, <laughs> he missed weight by half a pound. Which, I mean, I am not a, a sports dietitian. I am not a weight card specialist. So I feel like I'm very much underqualified when it comes to commenting on this but I have cut weight before for amateur boxing so I guess and I did it very poorly as well so I feel like that that gives me some kind of authority in in terms of poor weight cutting choices um yeah so I've seen a number of takes on on everything some people were talking about how the some people have claimed that the scales in the back that the fighters use before they come out onto the official scales, they were saying that they were not calibrated correctly. The scale when you come out and do the proper weigh-in is a manual one. It's one of those ones where you kind of you have a guy who has to push some shit into place. Whereas the one in the back is an electric electronic one, sorry. And so if it's poorly uh, calibrated, then it can really fuck shit up for you because you think you're on weight and then all of a sudden you have to cut additional weight over the course of an hour. And if you aren't able to do so, you know, it's a whole fucking mess. I don't know. I've, I've seen a number of takes. I've seen some accusations of this weight calibration issue. Other people saying that that's bullshit and that that wasn't the case at all. So I have no idea what the fuck is going on. All I know is that I've seen some people on Twitter and on fucking the MMA subreddit this, this isn't the majority by any stretch of the imagination. This is a very vocal minority that I've seen every now and again. For the most part, people recognize that it was just kind of, it was a big fuck up and Oliveira just kind of fucked up his weight cut. But there are some people out there who are claiming that Oliveira did this to gain an advantage. Oh yes, he'll come in half a pound over and therefore he will, yes, he, he will lose the ability to fight for his championship belt. He will vacate the UFC lightweight championship, whether he wins or loses. But, you know, that half a pound, man, the fact that he doesn't have to cut that, that will give him a significant advantage. And it's like, no, he, he had to spend an additional hour trying to sweat off half a pound 
when he was clearly at an insane degree of dehydration. That will not help you in a fist fight 24 to 36 hours later. It's not how it fucking works, okay? <laughs> anyway, that, that was a whole thing. Charles Oliveira vacated his UFC lightweight championship because he was half a pound over the 155-pound limit. Justin Gaethje, he remained eligible despite uh, Oliveira's weight miss in the same same way that uh, had Yoel Romero won at UFC 225 against, what's his name, Robert Whittaker for the middleweight championship. Um, yeah, Romero was not capable of winning the belt because he missed weight in that instance. So similar situation, only in this instance, it was the champion who missed weight. Big fucking deal. Anyway, the fight, how was it? It was fucking lit. No shit. I mean... These two are some of the most entertaining fighters on the face of the planet. They both have styles which necessitate aggression, which are built on the concept of damage. I mean, there, there are as as we'll talk about with Rose Naomi Yunus versus Carla Esparza very briefly because we won't we won't go into much detail on that fight because it was trash. There are some people whose whose styles are not built on the concept of damage, where it's not about uh, just throwing shit out there and, and getting in your opponent's face, roughing them up. But Charles Oliveira, he has a mental clinch game, which obviously requires you to get in close. It requires you to end, you know, hit entries into the clinch and then do damage with elbows and knees. And you've got Justin Gaethje, who has a mean check hook, has a mean tight overhand right, throws those brutal outside low kicks from both far away from, from the outside, and he can also throw them what feels like 30 fucking centimeters away from you. Yeah, so I think a lot of us anticipated that this fight would be fought in a phone booth, and it essentially was, because there there's no other way these guys know how to fight, really. I mean, Gaethje can play it a little more strategic, as we've seen in the Ferguson fights, as we, we saw in the Cerrone fight. He saw him, I don't know, the Barboza fight, not really. He can fight that kind of a fight if he remains calm and composed for an extended period of time, but Charles Oliveira was never going to give him that opportunity, and I think Oliveira can also fight a more calm, practiced fight himself if he so decides to, but with a guy like Gaethje in front of him, his best course of action was going to be, hey, fuck it, let's march through this dude. And it was a really interesting fight. I mean, the first knockdown occurred, I think, like 45 seconds into the bout. Something like that. It was uh, it was very early on into the contest that Oliveira got dropped. And I think I said this last week on the preview show. I said, you know, Oliveira's probably going to get dropped. He's going to get back up. And, and that's when he'll start taking over. Either I said that on the preview show or I said that to someone who I was training with at sparring on Friday night. But I said that. I said that to somebody. And that was that it's what it's what's been happening in his most recent fights. It's what happened against Poirier, it happened against Chandler, happened here against Gaichi. And yeah, he got he got knocked down with a rehand uppercut. It was really tight. I thought it was a left hook, but it was a rehand uppercut. Uh when they were in in tight in the clinch. And Gaichi couldn't follow up, obviously, because if he falls into the fucking guard of Oliveira, you think good things are going to happen? No, absolutely not. So Charles gets a couple of seconds to recover while Gaichi 
calls him back up to the feet because he doesn't want to enter into into the garden, play with the ground game of Charles Oliveira. And they get back to standing. Oliveira goes back to mashing the body with knees. I mean, this this fight was very condensed, but you saw all the things that you anticipated seeing. There, there are some fights where you have to see 25 minutes out of the two competitors. You have to see a full five rounds for you to get the full picture, the full breadth of their skill sets, you know? Whereas this fight, it was over in three minutes and 22 seconds, and I felt like we got every facet of both Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira's games. Because Oliveira came out and he was he was picking up that lead leg, which he often does. He's snapping out the... I don't think he snapped out the front kick actually that much. So I guess I'll take that one away. But he was lifting up the lead leg to threaten it. So Gaethje was clearly aware of the threat. And I, I think Oliveira used that threat, picking up the lead leg, to leap in with the left hook. And then he would get the double collar ties and he'd start mashing knees up the middle. He was really successful. First 30 seconds, he hit like three of them and they all looked they looked very painful. <laughs> all I could think was, fuck, I'm very glad I'm not Justin Gaethje right now. But Justin, at least initially, remained very calm and composed. He was looking for his overhand right from the get-go, trying to find a home for it. He he was throwing it really tight initially, and he was cracking Oliveira as Oliveira was coming in. And then he gets this rear-hand uppercut as Oliveira's fighting in the clinch, drops Oliveira. There's some gorgeous outside low kicking that happens. He, he really, early on, he was nailing the legs. But as the fight kind of worked on and Oliveira stayed in Gaethje's face, did not give him a second to think, then those low kicks became a little more rare. And additionally, Oliveira's picking up the lead leg. Justin, he will throw upper calf, not upper calf, sorry, he will throw upper thigh, but he he has been throwing a lot of calf kicks recently. So the way that Oliveira was pulling back at the knee, similar fashion to how Jose Aldo was doing it versus Rob Font and doing it versus Pedro Munoz, you know, the way that he was pulling back that that uh, shin, that calf, I think it convinced Gaethje that maybe kicking wasn't as fortuitous a path as he initially thought. And additionally, Oliveira was countering as Gaethje was trying to kick. There, there were a couple of occasions where he was, he was he mightn't have been landing, but he was certainly looking for the counter as Gaethje was going to kick. And then the finish, I mean, you assumed that the knockdown is going to come from a left hook because that's what Charles Oliveira has been showing so so much of recently and that that looks like his signature shot his left hook has looked so good recently but it was the right fucking hand it was the right hand that it was a straight right he threw he threw into the pocket and then Gaethje came back with his own right hand and then as they were separating as they were exiting the pocket as they were exiting clinching range that's when Oliveira throws this straight right and it just sits Gaethje down then he followed up, he fucking floats, man. Charles Oliveira on top is scary because he moves so fucking quickly and he moved really quickly here. Initially, it looks like he's going for maybe a reverse triangle and then it turned into a, a an armbar attempt. And then Gaethje was able to turn into him. I thought he was going to be able to get a single leg initially, but then Oliveira, man, moves so fucking quickly 
He just attaches himself to the back, hooks in. Actually, not even hooks in. He goes the body triangle. And, I mean, the most interesting thing about this, because the choke grips, all that was sensational. He had it on in half a second, it felt like. So Gaethje was tapping before you knew it. But I think the interesting detail was he went body triangle. And so you have the the leg which is actually triangling that that's across the body. That's the leg that, that causes the damage because half of the, the joy of a body triangle, if you're putting it on someone else, is that it really hurts them because you're pressing right down in on their stomach. So you have that leg that goes across the stomach, but you need to anchor that leg down. So that's what you do with your other leg. You take you know, your knee and you put your knee over your foot. The, the foot that goes across the stomach. You put the other knee over that foot. And it anchors everything down. It makes it very difficult to escape. Now, what most people will then do with that anchoring leg is they will kind of hide that, that leg on the outside, underneath their opponent's leg, so that they can't clear anything. But what's his, what's his name? Charles Oliveira put that anchoring leg in between he basically used it as an additional hook so it was like he was hitting a body triangle but he still had a hook in and I was thinking about it and I'm like well the best way to relieve pressure from the body triangle is taking that knee and then pushing it outwards because if you push it outwards then the body triangle is just it's not going to be as tight and therefore you're relieving a lot of the pressure and you might be able to force an escape you might be able to create enough space to where you can you can spin in, spin around, and end up in guard on top of your opponent. But it's a lot more difficult to push the knee outwards if it's hooked, if the foot is hooked in. You know what I'm saying? So I thought that was interesting. I think I might start doing that in some of my rounds, rolling in the next week or so. If I manage to get body triangle. I'm not that good, you know, so. But there was an interesting little detail that I hadn't considered. I've seen so many guys go on the outside of their opponent's legs that I just hadn't thought about the other way. Anyway, enough of that. It was a fucking dope-ass fight. Charles Oliveira doesn't technically retain the belt, but he wins the fight. He is considered the number one contender at lightweight now. There is now a vacant championship. And the question arises, who does he fight now? Who will be the next who will be part of the next championship fight and obviously one of them, one member of that fight is going to be Charles Oliveira who's he going to fight probably Islam Makashev apparently Joe Rogan went up to fucking Dana and said do not book Benil Dariush versus Islam Makashev just let Islam fight for the belt and high key I agree with him yeah I <laughs> Benil's fine but yeah I think Islam at this point deserves it he's on a on a sensational streak of victories I wasn't super convinced for a little while there with with Islam. With the the last win over Dan. Dan, that was a pretty damn good win. Was there any... Has there been any more recent than that? Or was that the last one? I believe that was the last one. He had a million and one fights booked with fucking RDA there at one point. But that never came to fruition. That turned into RDA versus Hanato Moicano. So fuck it. Let's just fuck Benil Dariush, fuck RDA, just put Islam in there. All these motherfuckers on Twitter, these bot accounts who just keep yelling at everyone like, Islam is the real champion. Islam is the real champion. He's the protege of Khabib. He's better than everyone and anyone. 
It's like, can we just can we just put Islam in a championship fight? If he wins, cool. The bots get to celebrate for time, you know, eternal. Whereas you know, if he gets fucking slept, it'll be a great day for humanity. We'll be able to talk shit to all those Dagestani fanboys. That that sounds like a fucking dream for me. So I, I would love to see that fight. I would love to see that fight for... I mean, yes, that fact, uh, as well as just the fact that I think it would be a banger. It would be so fucking interesting to watch on the ground. Obviously, Islam is a sensational, sensational wrestler. One of the best wrestlers in the lightweight division. And, I, I mean, I was reading a, an r slash BJJ thread on how they think a fight between Islam and and Charles Oliveira would go, and it was really interesting what's, what some people were saying. I, I'd forgotten a lot of the details about the Davi Ramos fight, because obviously someone brought up, well, who's the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner that Islam has fought during his UFC tenure? And it, it's probably going to be Davi Ramos. And that fight, well, Islam wasn't able to do that much on top. He wasn't really able to, he wasn't really able to get that much going. He won that fight primarily because he was a better striker than Davi. And so, I, I don't know if that, that directly correlates to what would happen in an oliveira Makashev fight, but I'm just saying, you know, it's worth worth keeping in mind. I, I, I think Charles Oliveira would win that fight. Not that I'm biased or anything, I just... I think he has a very active bottom game. I think he is everything that we were hyping Tony up to be when... He was set to go against Khabib all those times, you know? I think Charles can do that. I think his bottom game is just so fucking sensational, and he's going to have... There are going to be so many sweeps, bro. Oh, those scrambles. I'm living for those scrambles. And I think on the feet, I think he... I mean, it's a dangerous game entering the clinch with Islam Makashev, but shit, if there's anyone who can do it, I think it's got to be uh, It's got to be Charles Oliveira. He's going to be mashing knees, and then he's going to be fucking doing Grammy rolls and shit when Islam tries to single leg him off of those knees. And I can't wait to see it, if I'm being honest with you. So, yes. Can we please book that fight as quickly as possible? I want to see a belt slung back around the waist of Charles Oliveira. Um, pronto. Pronto. Thank you. What else was on this card? Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas. So, Rose Namajunas came in as the strawweight champion, and they put on a fucking stinker. I really don't want to talk about this fight that much. There's not much to talk about. It was shit. It was it was trash. There was a cool takedown at the end of the fifth by Rose. That was nice. Everything else was fucking shit. And Rose's corner, Pat Barry, he's going off after rounds saying, you hear the boos? You hear the boos from the crowd? That means that we're doing the right thing. That means we're winning because we're this is our game or some dumb asinine shit. And then you've got Trevor Whitman. Pat Barry is is Rose Namajunas's partner, and there are times. I feel like most fights, Trevor Whitman, who is the lead, uh, who's the head coach at Onyx, who who trains Justin Gaethje, now trains Kamara Usman, you know, who has a very very solid stable of fighters now, who is now considered one of the best coaches in the world. Trevor. He's usually the head coach for Rose, but in this fight, I think I think he is at least. But in this fight, he was relegated to the secondary position in their corner. And he comes in, and Pat's saying all this shit about how you're winning, you're winning. You're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And Trevor comes in, and you can kind of tell that he doesn't believe that. 
that his thought is, mm, you should probably put it on her a bit more. She isn't really taking you down successfully, and when she is getting on your back and shit like that, you're fighting the hands. You're getting back up to your feet. You're all good. You can do whatever the fuck you want in this fight. And he he wants to implore her to be more aggressive, but he doesn't want to circumvent what Pat's saying. So there's this awkward, like, I'm too kind to actually say what needs to be fucking said. At least that's what it looked like from from outside. And so you end up with this wonky-ass split decision where either chick could have won, but everyone lost. It was fucking terrible. But Carla Esparza ended up with the belt. I don't really give a shit. Credit to her. <laughs> it was a trash fight, you know? If if you're going to have that trash of a fight, you might as well end up with a semi-chaotic result. Also, this really opens up the division because Rose had now beaten Whaley Zhang twice. She'd beaten Yoani and Jacek twice. So, weren't a lot of options for rematches. I mean, you could, I think you could very much justify it for Yoana if Joanna was able to put on a put on a bit of a win streak, just because that second fight with Joanna was so good. But, yeah, shit. It, it kind of closed up the division. But Carla winning the belt, <laughs> well, now, whoever wins in this rematch between Joanna and uh, Wei Li Zhang, that I believe is occurring on the next pay-per-view at 275, whoever wins between them's fighting for the belt. You know that motherfucker's getting fast-tracked. So that's cool. Let's not talk about that fight anymore. Let's talk about how fucking depressing Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson was. Because it was really depressing. Damn. So, the general consensus coming into this fight was, uh, Tony Ferguson is completely washed. He has now spent three consecutive fights getting absolutely fucked up. We had Justin Gaethje beat the shit out of him for the interim championship back in the, well, the beginning of the pandemic, UFC 249. And then we had him get beaten up by Charles Oliveira for three consecutive rounds. Nearly had his arm broken at the end of, I believe it was the first round. And then he got fucked up by Benil Dariush as well. But that one was less... It was all less getting fucked up and more just he couldn't do anything. And I think that was what concerned people most. You know, the first fight against Justin Gaethje, yeah, he'd been on an, an insane streak. He cut weight unnecessarily like twice recently because... He, he started a weight cut for the Khabib fight and then the Khabib fight didn't come to fruition because Khabib, I mean, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Visiting other countries was restricted. Khabib couldn't enter the US. So the fight was cancelled and Tony made the executive decision to finish his weight cut regardless of the fact that the fight wasn't actually going to fucking happen. And then about three weeks after that, he gets booked into another fight against Justin fucking Gaethje, who it's like a truck. And he has to cut weight again to lightweight. It was a terrible, terrible decision. But hey, that's the Tony Ferguson experience. And then he goes into this fight with Charles Oliveira, and Charles is on a, a, on a crazy streak. Had just come off the victory versus Kevin Lee. Was looking really good. And is an insanely dangerous guy on the ground. So... I don't think there were as many surprises in that instance. The fact that he couldn't get anything going against Benil Dariush was the issue, because in the first two fights, it felt like it was just his opponent being better than him. And then in that Dariush fight, yes, I think based on what we saw, Dariush at this point in his career is better than Tony Ferguson, but just Tony had fucking nothing to give. And that kind of, you know... 
That started the old, he's washed, cut the fuck out of him train. And uh, that's just really depressing if you're a fan of a fighter. And then Tony gets booked into this fight with Michael Chandler, who's coming off of three fights in a row where he has... Did he drop Justin? I don't think he actually dropped Justin in their fight, but he certainly fucking hurt him at points, particularly in that first round. He's coming off of three fights where he's he's proper hurt his opponents, and now you're giving Tony Chandler. And it just seemed like a recipe for disaster, if you're a Tony Ferguson fan. And maybe that was the point, because Tony came into this fight week and he was talking mad shit about the UFC, talking mad shit about the way that they had treated him and they were treating other fighters. There were a lot of comments on fighter pay and the lack of compensation being given to the athletes. So it kind of felt like the UFC had put him in the sights of Michael Chandler, not just to push Chandler, but also as a punishment for Tony. But then Tony came out and put on a fucking great performance in the first round. He was doing really well countering Chandler's entries. Chandler is incredibly fast, as we're all acutely aware. But he can kind of leave himself hanging in the pocket after he throws his shots. We kind of explored this a little bit this past week uh, when I uploaded that video on Chandler and his fight with Eddie Alvarez. I know, I think I said last week that I was going to be doing a video on Mike Brown, but I had to write that thing. I still have to finish writing that thing. So uh, I just decided to go with a video that I kind of had saved in the uh, the backlog. And so I put that out. And Eddie Alvarez, you see in that fight, there's a number of occasions where Chandler's like struggling to get out of the pocket after his entry. He's struggling to do it fast enough to avoid the return fire from Eddie Alvarez. Happened a few times, and it happened here as well. In spite of the fact that Chandler can can move quick, he was throwing that straight right to the body, and he was kind of leaving himself in the pocket just a little bit too long. And, and additionally, Tony's timing was just really good, so he was timing those entries and he was countering off of them really effectively. And it came the the knockdown in the first round came off of a, a low kick, I believe it was an outside low kick from Chandler. And Tony was standing in Southpaw, and he goes for a straight left, and he drops Chandler. It was fucking nuts. And then he got in his face, and it was cool. Yeah, I thought he was doing really well out of Southpaw, just countering with the straight left, and then following up with the right hook on, on occasion. It was really weird, to be honest. It was weird to see Tony feeling himself, because I haven't seen it in fucking years. It reminded me of what he looked like against against Pettis. And it just made you think about when he is most successful. And when he is most successful is when he is confident in his chin and thus he is able to do the crazy shit that people just don't expect. He's able to do the spins, that, like the, the half-speed spins that he did against RDA and then come out with a hook. You know, he's able to counter forward pressure from Cowboy Cerrone with a spinning elbow consistently. It's not just a once-off defense. It's a, this is my, this is my approach. My entire approach for the fight involves spinning. Like, no one else can fucking do that. But when Tony Ferguson is feeling himself, when he is confident in his chin, those are the approaches that he takes. And then additionally, he's just got insane, an insane reach, and he's able to exploit that with this snappy jab, and he uses great front kicks. And Chandler talked about it after the fight, but 
despite all of these linear weapons that he can use, we're talking about the straight left counter that he was using in this fight. We're talking about the jab that he's pretty proficient at. We're talking about up elbows. We're talking about snap kicks up the middle. He does kind of leave his hands out by the side. (laughs) And so Michael Chandler comes out in the second round, 17 seconds into the second round, throws throws a front kick up the middle, and it fucking pulverizes Tony Ferguson. It's over. It's done. It's a wrap. And it's the most depressing sight you'll see this year. One of the craziest knockouts you'll see this year, but certainly one of the most depressing simultaneously. So that wasn't fun at all. It's cool if you're Michael Chandler, of course, because it puts you right back into title contention when you probably shouldn't be right back into title contention given that you you were on a two-fight losing streak against very legitimate, credible guys. You lost in the championship fight with Charles Oliveira, and you lost versus Justin Gaethje in a three-round fight of the year war. But he was still on a two-fight losing streak. So he probably shouldn't be re-entering the title picture off of a win over Tony Ferguson. But uh, alas, that front kick has dispelled that notion. Also, just the fact that he dealt with adversity in the first round. I think it made people go, wow, maybe Tony isn't washed. And then that's when Chandler just destroyed him. So it made people go, oh, you know, he beat a more credible opponent than the washed Tony that we all assumed would be showing up. You know? Yeah, so Michael Chandler's probably going to fucking find himself in a championship fight soon, ain't he? Um, he should probably fight Benil Dariush. If they're not going to book Islam versus Dariush, let Chandler at him. If there's anyone who's going to give Chandler a boring fight, it's probably going to be Dariush. But if there's anyone who's going to make Dariush fight super exciting, and, and don't get me wrong, Dariush has had some damn exciting fights. He's had some damn exciting fights. But I think... On the whole, he's not the most exciting fighter out there. Watch his Edson Barboza fight. That fight wasn't entertaining because of Darius. Watch his, his fight with Tony. Well, not a particularly entertaining fight. Probably in part because we were all rooting for Tony, but still. Yeah. So maybe match them up. I haven't looked at the lightweight rankings for a little bit, so I, I can't tell you who else he could pro- probably fight. You could put him in there with RDA. Just because RDA's victory over Hernando Moicano was so impressive... I think you could make that fight. That'd be pretty good. I don't know. Do what you will. But Chandler reasserted himself in that title picture. Also called out Conor McGregor, because why the fuck not? And called him out at 170, which uh, I think was a decent move if you actually do want to fight Conor, because that's what he wants. He want, he doesn't want to fucking deal with weight cuts at this age, at this point in his career. He's rich. He's been doing his thing off to the side. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants to pull up and make a boatload of cash and kind of get the jitters out of him. Like, ah, I just want to have a fight. I just want to have a fight. I just want to have a fight. He wants to do that every couple of years. So just, you know, give him that opportunity and he might very well bite. So that'd be a cool fight. And surprisingly even because there are a lot of fights in that lightweight division. You know, as a Connor fan, I don't want to see Connor in because I think Connor gets slept in most of them. I don't want to see him against Chucky Olives. I'll tell you that. And then we have OSP versus Shogun. We're not, we're not really going to talk about that. That was basically just two opens. There was an open stance matchup. So a Southpaw and an Orthodox dude. And it was just batting the lead hands down. So Ovin, St. Prue's in Southpaw, Shogun's in Orthodox. And they're both just, because their lead hands align with one another. That's how a Southpaw Orthodox matchup works. Your lead hands align with one another. They're batting each other's lead hands down so they can make a path for the rear hands. And it's just, oh, God. They were both missing a fuckload. 
At least OSP threw up some some decent high kicks. I thought he was probably going to get a high kick knockout going into the fight just because I thought Shogun's washed enough that OSP, in spite of his age, in spite of his, his up-and-down nature, you can probably get that, that rear leg high kick knockout. But alas, it was just a boring-as-fuck decision. Uh, Randy Brown had a sensational fight with Chaos Williams. He was utilizing the shoulder roll really effectively. It was a bit disappointing if you're a Chaos Williams fan because you probably wanted him to kick a lot more given that Randy, he's shoulder rolling and it looks really cool. He's avoiding the shots up top, but like the legs are right there. But admittedly, Chaos, he was kicking the legs semi-frequently. It's not like he forgot about them. It's not like he was just headhunting. It's just like, I think he could have been going to the legs more. Yeah, it was um, it was a good fight. I thought Randy Brown just looked really calm, composed, striking, looked sensational, jab looked great. Yeah, it was a great performance from Randy Brown, which is cool because I really fucking love Randy Brown. Francisco Trinaldo defeated Danny Roberts in a banger. He got a 30-26 on one of the cards. Actually, looking at those cards, 29-28, 30-27, 30-26. <laughs> Judges. When will you guys be consistent? That was cool. First round, I thought Danny Roberts was doing really well. The end of the round, I was like, oh, Trinado looks like he's kind of working his way back into it. He, he might be finding a home for that overhand left, his customary overhand left. And then he does find a home for it a little more frequently in the, the opening of the second round. It, but it's a jab. It's a counter-fucking jab that he lands that basically short-circuits Danny Roberts' brain for a half second. It looks like he's about to turn off. It was weird. But Roberts was able to kind of put him, pull himself back into the fight, mainly because Trinaldo kind of clinched and was looking for wrestling exchanges, which the commentators were talking mad shit about. But I thought, Trinaldo's so goddamn strong. And as we found out later on in the round, he, he was winning on top when he did get Danny down. So I didn't think that was the worst decision in the world, to hurt him and then use that as an opportunity to shoot. But he didn't get the takedown initially. He had to hurt him again. And he hurt him with a left hook to the body, or a left uppercut to the body. And it was really hot. Because, I mean, you just... It's Francisco Trinaldo. His bread and butter is his overhand left, and sometimes a straight left. Okay? I just... You see him go to the body sometimes, but it's just not anywhere near as common as his overhand left. And I think he used that threat of the overhand left to set up that left hook to the body. And it was cool. It was really cool. And it hurt the fuck out of Danny Roberts. And... And they ended up on the bottom, or Danny Roberts ended up on the bottom for a little while. Got back up, put up a competitive end of the round, and then the third round happened, and Trinaldo, it looked like Danny was actually in a decent position. So he won the first round, I thought, quite definitively. Just lots of activity. He was doing really well with the low kicks. He was pumping out a, 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 a 2-1, so the straight left into the jab. I thought that looked really good. Yeah, he was doing really well in the first round. And then he was kind of doing the same kind of thing in the third round. Lots of volume. And I thought he was winning the third round up until the final minute and a half when Trinaldo starts landing some bomb-ass overhand lefts and then starts landing his jab kind of consistently. And yeah, I thought it secured Trinaldo the round. I thought he landed the more damaging shots at the end of the round. So, you know, Francisco Trinaldo, 43 years of age. Man can still beat up anyone. It's nuts. This was a welterweight as well. You know, a big part of his thing has been he's been so fucking big at lightweight and now he's moved up a weight class and in spite of the fact that he's just moved up, he still has that strength. 
He still has that power. It's awesome. I love to see it. Macy Chason was putting on a great fight for a while, for like two rounds, and then Norma DeMont <laughs> decided her striking was going to be good and nearly knocked the fuck out of Chason in that third round. <laughs> I, I like Macy. She was doing really good stuff from Southpaw. She was doing really good, a really good job countering with the straight left in Southpaw, and then she would switch orthodox, and that's when she was leading. She was throwing the jab cross out of orthodox and going on the front foot when she was in that stance. So I like the variety. And she has a really great switch kick to the head. She was stitching that into combinations effectively. There were some good takedowns in the second round from her. I thought she looked really good, and then she gassed like a motherfucker, and Norma's striking came alive. Macy was still able to win the fight, very definitively. In my opinion, it was a split fucking decision. That one scored at 29-28. Hmm. Huh. I disagree with that assessment, but whatever. Yeah, I thought it's it's disappointing if you Macy chase on because this looked like a really good victory through two rounds and then kind of got away from her in the third. So it's probably I'm sure a lot of people are going to remember it as yeah, that was kind of you know a shit tier performance from Macy Chase on even though she got the victory. So it doesn't do a lot for her. Norman Dumont looked good in the third round though, even though she. Couldn't do anything with the wrestling, so that's fun. Brandon Royval gets a submission over Matt Schnell, and it's one of those fights where you're like, fuck, man, why the fuck did that have to happen? Because Matt Schnell is walking out, and the commentators are talking about how, oh, yep, Matt Schnell, his mum just died, and he was thinking about pulling out, but ultimately he hasn't pulled out of this fight, and he's here because he, he he believes that's what his mum would have wanted. He would His mum would have wanted him to make it to the octagon and put on a great performance. And then on the ground, it was really interesting. I thought he was doing some great stuff on the ground. And then Brandon Royval's got the trickiest guard in the fucking game and just snatches up a guillotine. Matt Schnell was attempting a guillotine like fucking 10 seconds earlier. Brandon gets out of that and then shoots his own guillotine. And what do you know? He gets his. So Matt Schnell's sitting there, and they're all like, oh, this is awkward. We just hyped up the fact that uh, his mum just died, and this is going to make him really emotional, and it's a really big, powerful moment. And now Brandon Royval has submitted the fuck out of him. So that was cool. Matt Schnell looked good up until that point, unfortunately. How depressing. It's like, uh, what was it? Oh, I forgot his fucking name. It was Alistair Overeem. Sorry, you're going to hear a lot of clicking in the background while I look up which fight it was. It was like Walt Harris. Yes, Walt Harris's daughter. Adopted daughter, I believe. She was killed. She was murdered. And then it was... It was a big part of the promotion for his next fight versus Alistair Overeem. It was a big deal because everyone was like, oh my God, that's that's so incredibly difficult to deal with. Can Walt Harris bounce back from this? Everyone's kind of hoping Walt Harris can because it was such a, an incredibly depressing, heinous act that occurred. And then, uh, yeah, he had a really good first round and then gassed and then Alistair Overeem beat the shit out of him. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really fucking depressing. And it's a really good example of why maybe sometimes the UFC should, should fail to mention 
some of the personal things going on with fighters. I mean, it was such a significant part of the fight in that instance that it would have been difficult to get around without talking about it. But, like, shit. Sometimes, man, it just makes shit awkward. Yeah. Anyway, Brandon Royval wins another fight, and now he's he's on a two-fight win streak now. Beat Rogerio Bonturin, and now he's beaten Matt Schnell, the bootlicker. Gratatatata. You're back in title contention at flyweight. How good. Uh, heavyweight, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't watch much of Ivanov versus Rogerio de Lima. I watched the first round and went, eh, no, I think I'm good. So that's cool. Andre Fialho came back. Last week I, I went through this card and went, oh shit, I think Andre Fialho might be fighting, which is a bit weird because he fought like two weeks ago. As it turns out, yes, he was indeed fighting on short notice against Cameron Van Camp and he got a fucking knockout. And lo and behold, it was with the left hook. Andre Fialio's from Sanford MMA, so he's training with Henry Hooft, and you can fucking tell because he has the same kind of left hook as, you know, your Vicente Luque. Just really clean, polished technique. He he does well under, like, countering with it. He's not great when guys' combination, like, they're good combination punches on the inside. It's like Vicente Luque and how he was, he struggled with Brian Barberena when Barberena was just flurrying on him. He just put up the high guard. And when he was countering, he was often missing wide because you know he wasn't able to see past the high guard particularly well. And that was how Brian was, was kind of wearing Luque down. And I think Fialio has the same kind of thing where he puts up that high guard when guys do flurry in on him and he looks for his shots a little too closely. And, you know, when he when he commits, he really commits. But fortunately for him, Cameron Van Camp was throwing some ugly rear-hand uppercuts in the pocket. That's what that's how the finish came about. Cameron Van Camp waltzes into the pocket like he's at a fucking picnic. And then he throws this rear-hand uppercut with his chin sitting high up in the air, just inviting a left hook. It's a goddamn invitation. And Andre Fialio, he's a nice guy. If you're going to invite him to a party, he's coming. And he brings that left hook with him. And, uh, yeah, it puts Cameron Van Camp right the fuck down. Yeah, Andre Fialio, man. I like this dude. I like this dude a lot. He has a really nice left hook. I like his right hand. I put up a a gif of him on the MMA subreddit this week. It didn't get many responses, presumably because not that many people give a shit about Andre Fialio. But I had some motherfuckers like criticizing the way that I labeled it. I think I labeled it as... He lands a couple of like Andre Fialio lands some some good combinations against Michelle Pierre in their the first round of their fight. And they were like, he didn't really land half of these shots. And I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't gonna say he faints really effectively against Michelle Pierre. I don't know, that just that sounds so useless. Like, cool, hey, here guys, let me show you how much of a fucking nerd I am. Here's all these feints that Andre Fialio was throwing against Michelle Pierre. No one wants to fucking look at that, you know? Sometimes i got to be clickbaity, mate. It is what it is. What else was there? Lupita Godinez. Oh my god, that chick is fucking good. Like, she's really fucking good. Oh my god. I mean, she beat Loma Lukbonmi. Lukbonmi? I, oh god, I feel bad for butchering that pronunciation. She beat her, so you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty legit. But this fight, man, I'd never seen Canelosi fight before. I'm just looking at her on Wikipedia. Uh, she beat some chick, Nunez. 
on the Lad Dumont card back in October of last year. She lost to Angela Hill back in 2019 via doctor stoppage. I don't know, man. She had one fight in, uh, I was about to say Bellator. It wasn't actually Bellator. It was Batalha MMA in Brazil. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if she's that good. I've never seen her fight before. But, dude, Lupita Goninas looked so fucking good in this fight. Just, oh my god. She's so strong from every, like, from, from half guard. She's a fucking beast. She was dropping elbows. She was really impressive. She was able to defend when Canalose was trying to come up with the single leg. That was basically Canalose's only approach to escaping the bottom was, all right, I'm going to try and get a single leg, or I'm going to get a leg, get a hold of a leg, and I'm going to use that to build up back to my feet. And Godinez just didn't let it fucking happen. There were times when she was threatening with the cradle, and then she'd go back to half guard. There were a few times when she just floated from, like she had a whizzer dealing with that single leg, and she just floats over into mount. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Was good. I'm trying to think, was that the fight? No, it was, um, it was the fight I'll talk about in a second. But yeah, Godinez, man, she's really fucking good. And I thought she looked really good at the, in terms of the the stand-up at the beginning of the second round before she took Canelose down. And she had some some good variations in terms of takedowns, some, some inside trips, some double legs. I don't know, man. I was just really fucking impressed. Really impressed. Now let's talk about CJ Vergara because I was about to mention that because I had just remembered someone was doing a really good job escaping the mount. Did it twice. Swept from the mount in their fight. And it was I thought it was Lupita Godinez for a second or Ariane Canalosi, but uh, it was actually uh, Clayton Rod- Rodriguez versus uh, CJ Vergara. Rod- Rodriguez, oh, I'm going to correct properly for the final time it's Rodriguez just so that I'm making a mental note and I will not fuck it up anymore yes Rodriguez got put on the bottom a couple of times throughout the fight and Vergara did a really good job transitioning into the mount and then Rodriguez hit your your customary trap the arm hit the sweep out of mount (laughs) did it really effectively twice it was cool it was really cool that fight was a fucking banger though Rodriguez man he looks awesome. That was his UFC debut. I've never seen him fight before. He is fucking legit. I liked that. I liked him a lot. Yeah. I thought he looked sensational. Even though he lost. And I thought Vergara looked sensational. He was great coming forward. On the ground, there were some great scrambles. Rodriguez, he came in and they were touting him as a Muay Thai specialist, but I thought he did pretty good in the in a lot of the grappling extra- exchanges. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a sensational fight. Go watch that fight if you can. I thought Rodriguez's low kicking was great. His hands were really fucking solid. Vergara was pretty decent at cutting off the cage. There were a few times where Rodriguez was able to find space and he probably shouldn't have been able to. But Vergara was doing a good job, for the most part, coming forward and cutting off the cage and, and forcing exchanges, which sometimes got him into a bit of trouble. He got hit with some shit, but still... I believe I believe it was Vergara who hurt Rodriguez at the beginning of the second round. I think with a body shot. That, that was something that I noticed in the first few fights of the card. Vergara, Rodriguez, and Journey Newsom versus Vernie Garcia. A lot of body kicks to the closed side. The the risk with throwing a rear body kick to the closed side, which I'll just 
I'll just explain. So the closed side will be the side where your lead elbow is, okay? So kicking into the closed side implies that you're kicking into the side where there's an elbow basically right in front of you. And so you run the risk of hitting the bone, hitting hitting the elbow, and that fucking hurts. So you don't actually see a lot of guys kicking into the closed side. You see some motherfuckers like Jan Blahovic versus Dominic Reyes. They were in an they were in an open stance matchup. So Dom Reyes is southpaw, Blahovic is orthodox, and Blahovic is putting he's putting combinations together and it's drawing. Dom Reyes's hands up, his elbow up, and then he's stepping into uh, a kick, a step-up kick to the closed side so that he can clear the the elbow. It was really fucking impressive. But you don't you don't really see it with the rear leg. You sometimes see it with switch kicks, but you don't see it with the rear leg. But yeah, Johnny Newsom was throwing a lot of rear leg body kicks to the closed side, and CJ Vergara threw quite a few as well, as did Clayton Rodriguez. They both threw them. It was cool. It was really cool. Johnny Newsom uh, defeated Fernie Garcia. I just mentioned that that fight, but yeah, that was also a sensational fight. The early prelims, for the most part, were really good. Johnny Newsom started off, and he was just throwing spammy, spinny shit, and I thought, wow, this isn't effective at all. And then it just started being more effective. He was throwing shit initially, at least with the hands. He was throwing shit from a mile away. And I was just thinking to myself, oh my god, this Garcia kid, even though I don't particularly like his stance, I don't like the way he throws some of these shots, he does look, it looks like he has a good left hook, and it looks like he has a sharp straight right. And if he gets the opportunity, he's going to be able to counter Journey coming from a mile out. And he did, he caught him a couple of times in that first round. But yeah, as the fight went on, Journey's Journey was doing a really good job with the volume, Lots of outside low kicks. He was throwing a spinning heel kick, but it was preceded by a spinning back fist. So he's convincing you, oh, it's a spinning back fist coming, I can step back to avoid that. And then a spinning heel kick would come behind it, all from the same side. It's just, ugh, it was really impressive. It didn't land like the three or four times he first tried it, but then it landed in the final 30 seconds, and it put Fernie Garcia on, it put him, you know, nearly out. It was really impressive. Yeah, it was, it was interesting how much better Journey got over the over the the journey of the fight. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. So much spinny shit. And then there was a point in the third round where Journey he'd thrown all this spinning shit throughout the course of the fight, and then he he levels out his stance. Not levels out. He he blades his stance so it looks like he's about to go for another spinning move, and then instead he goes for. I think he just goes for a punch down the middle. He doesn't spin at all. It's like, ah, ha, 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 cool. Do that. That's fun. Yeah. Had some really nice sidekicks. Once he found his range and he was actually throwing from a little bit closer, he landed some great sidekicks. Yeah, fuck, man. Journey Newsom looks solid. Yeah, so let's just quickly, we'll talk about next week, I guess, because that was UFC 274. I think overall, it was a fine card. It had some fucking stinkers. The co-main event was atrocious. Ovin St. Peru versus Shogun was terrible. Ivanov and Rogerio de Lima, eh, didn't really care for. 
Tracy Cortez, Melissa Gatto. Didn't actually seem that bad, but I, I didn't pay that much attention through it, so I, I just didn't feel like I should mention it that much here. I'm not going to talk about a fight that I, I didn't watch, really. So what's coming up in the next week? Well, next week is Blahovich and Rakic. That card's fucking sparse. Blahovich and Rakic. It's a decent fight in the main event. I hope Blahovich is able to force an entertaining fight out of Rakic because it hasn't been good the past few fights of his. And then in the co-main events, Ryan Spam versus Eon Kutalaba. Jesus fucking Christ. Someone will get knocked out early at least. How good. Davy Grant versus Lewis Smolker. That'll be fun. Frank Camacho's back versus Manuel Torres. Cool. I like Frank Camacho a lot. Oh, what else is on this card? Michael Johnson's back. Holy shit. And he's fighting Alan Patrick. That's cool. Uh, there's also Angela Hill. She's returning against uh, Jandaroba. And I love me some Angela Hill. I think she's fucking great. Throws a lot of volume. A lot of elbows. A lot of fucking snap kicks down the middle. Great jab. Fuck yeah. But yeah, no, that's a shit that's a shit tier card. Jesus Christ, that's fucking horrendous. PFL four? Is that on next week? I don't know, man. I don't know when that is. There's probably gonna be a Bellator card. This past weekend there was Joel Romero beating the absolute who the fuck was he beating beating up again? He was playing with his food by the end of the fight. It was yeah, Alex Polizzi. Polizzi. Yeah, shit. He was fucking playing with him. Yeah, that wasn't fun to watch because that fight should have been stopped at the end of the second round. The corner should have should have stepped in. The fact that they didn't is kind of like, really? Really? You're going to send him out? And then the fight gets finished right at the buzzer at the end of the fifth round. Ugh, I didn't like that fight. And there was, uh, the main event was a a decision for Ryan Bader versus Chuck Congo. Cool. What's coming up this week? There's an MVP fight in Bellator. That's cool. We might fucking watch that. We might. Yeah, Michael Page is fighting uh, Logan Storley. Intriguing. Leona Machida's fighting Fabian Edwards in the co-main event. Cool. Uh, Paul Daly's back. Just looking through these names. I might give that one a watch. Charlie Ward's back. Jesus, fuck. I understand that Bellator and SBG seem to have a thing going on where pretty much all of SBG Island's talent goes into Bellator, but, like, dude, I think actually Charlie Ward won his last fight, so, you know, maybe I should just stop talking shit, you know? LFA's got a card this weekend. Am I going to watch it? Probably not. Invicta has a card. Invicta 47. Do I know any of the competitors on it? Not really, but I will I will probably watch that because I do love Invicta. So that's cool. Yeah, I think that's all I really have to fucking say. Is there any cool news? If I go to the top of the MMA subreddit for this past week, what, what kind of news do I have to report? A bunch of people talking shit about the UFC. Hell yeah, we love that. Daniel Cormier is in the UFC Hall of Fame. That was announced at UFC 274. That's cool. I mean, he deserves it. Yeah, but... Actually, there's no but. I was about to give a but for some reason, but there's there's no but to include in there. Canelo lost this weekend. That was fucking big. 
That was big. I didn't watch the fight. At least live. I've seen some highlights. Bivol looked like he won very convincingly. How good? How good? So there was that. What's what's the time currently? It's about 55, nearly 56 minutes in, so I think this is a good time to call it. What's happening for the next week? I might actually do that Mike Brown video. You hope. You pray. I'm starting a new job this week, so... I don't know if I'll have a whole lot of time. I'm going to be working as a writer for a property tech company. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. I just hope that I'm not going to look like a complete idiot when I rock up for work tomorrow, so... Wish me luck. It just means that there might be a little less time for me to edit stuff over the course of the next week because I'm gonna have I'm gonna go back to having two jobs again, which is just a fucking just sensational. Yeah, so that's going down. But I I endeavor to make that Mike Brown video. I really do. In terms of other shit, what's going down? Golden State Warriors beat the Grizzlies today. In game four. That's cool. The Cubs are playing like shit. But they won today against the Padres. Which is shocking. Shocking. The Oilers are 2-2 two and two with the LA Kings in the NHL. So I'm excited to watch game five. They didn't play fucking well at all in that fourth game. So I'm hoping that they do a bit better going into this, uh, this fifth game. Yeah. Some shit's going on. Some shit's happening. Anyway, I'm going to stop waffling about random shit. Have a sec- sensational weekend. A sensational week. And I'll catch you next week after what is probably going to be an incredibly underwhelming card. Thank you very much, guys. See ya. Bye.